Welcome to the podcast series from the Forum at Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. You may also watch a video of this event at www.forumhsph.org. Welcome. My name is Scott Malone, and I'm a journalist with Reuters News, and I'll be your moderator today. Today's program is an hour long, and it's a collaboration of the Forum at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health and Reuters News. Today's panelists, beginning from my immediate right, are David Hemingway, professor of health policy at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health and director of Harvard's Injury Control Research Center. Next to him, we have Felton Tony Earls, professor of human behavior and development emeritus, Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. Moving down next to him, we have Mike McLively, a staff attorney at the Law Center to Prevent Gun Violence. And finally, David King, senior lecturer in public policy at the Harvard Kennedy School and chair of Harvard's bipartisan program for newly elected members of the U.S. Congress. This program will include a, a brief Q&A, and you may email your questions to uh, the forum at hsph.harvard.edu. You can also participate in a live chat discussion that's happening on the forum website right now. Uh, many of today's panelists, including myself, met in this studio three years ago to discuss gun violence in the wake of the massacre of 20 school children and six educators at Sandy Hook Elementary School. Um, and as we sit here, authorities in California are investigating a report of a possible active shooter incident at San Diego's Naval Medical Center. Um, and in the span of those three years, we've seen additional mass shootings, as well as an emotional President Obama just three weeks ago announcing a series of executive actions regarding the problem of gun violence. His steps included, among other items, clarifying that people in the business of selling firearms must get a license and conduct background checks, proposing a $500 million investment to boost access to mental health care, and ensuring that dealers notify law enforcement about the theft or loss of their guns. Today, we're going to look again at uh, gun violence prevention through a public health lens and talk about what, if anything, has changed in the country's perceptions over the past few years. We'll discuss mass shootings as well as the day-to-day -day violence that many U.S. communities face. And we'll take a look at politics, policies, and laws. We're going to begin with a clip from Reuters showing President Obama making that announcement I just referred to earlier this month. And the constant excuses for inaction no longer do. A fired up and emotional President Obama moving ahead on gun control without Congress Tuesday, announcing a slate of executive actions beefing up background checks for gun sales in the wake of countless mass shootings. From college kids in Blacksburg and Santa Barbara, and from high schoolers at Columbine, and, and from first graders in Newtown, Every time I think about those kids, it gets me mad. And by the way, it happens on the streets of Chicago every day. The change is requiring all gun vendors to get a license, regardless of the size of their operation, plus new funds for mental health care, better tracking of people with mental health issues, and improvements in gun safety technology. This is not a plot to... Uh, Take away everybody's guns. Andy Sullivan is following the story. Well, keep in mind, for any significant change in the laws, Obama has to go through Congress, and he's been uh, unable to change the existing laws we have now. Think back to 2013, when Democrats tried to uh, make background checks more universal. They fell short. This is likely to enrage Republicans in the National Rifle Association. Still, there's about 32,000 Americans who die of gun violence every year, and Obama says that anything 
anything he can do to bring that total down even just a little bit is worth doing. Thank you very much, everybody. Congress has not approved major gun control legislation since the 1990s, as the powerful NRA has worked to knock down all attempts to rein in gun ownership. So with that, we'll pass the uh, conversation over to David. David, tell us a little bit about what Obama is announcing and just give us some of the big picture about uh, gun violence in this yeah. country. So um, what I wanted to talk a little bit about was the public health approach and just to emphasize uh, that what the president is doing is really an important part of that public health approach. We have lots of guns in the United States. We'll probably always have lots of guns and the public health approach is about harm reduction. It's about prevention. Uh, what it's really about is to try to make it easy to be healthy rather than difficult to be healthy. And in a public health approach, everyone should play a part if you want to have an effective public health approach, and that includes gun manufacturers, gun retailers, gun owners. It includes the faith community, the medical community, and it even includes the president. What the president has been doing is trying to do whatever he's, he's able to try to reduce the problem. And I would argue that it's not just changing laws that can make a difference, it's also changing social norms, uh, which is uh, important. And before the first step really in trying to make sure everyone's together and on the same page, you all have to agree, everyone has to agree that we have a problem that can be solved. Uh, and we have an enormous problem in the United States. Uh, on an average day in the United States, over 300 people are shot. Uh, so a lot of spinal cord injuries, traumatic brain injuries, and of those 300 plus, we have more than 90 people dying. Uh, if you compare us to any of the other advanced countries, uh, we have lots more guns, particularly handguns. We have by far the weakest laws among the two dozen first world countries. And not surprisingly, we have a much more serious uh, gun problem than any of these other countries. Uh, uh, on average, a person in the United States has a much higher likelihood, for example, of being murdered with a gun than people in other countries. And it's not just 20% higher or 50% higher. It is 25 times higher than the average of all the other advanced countries. And our overall gun death rate is 10 times higher. And people uh, in all the other advanced countries, from Germany to Japan to Italy to Canada, just cannot understand the United States why we seem to do so little to try to pre pre prevent these problems. Um, now, gun violence just doesn't kill people. It also helps destroy communities. Uh, when there's street crime with guns, uh, what it can do is make it less likely for people to be willing to go out at night, much less likely for industry and business to come into the community and really be devastating for the community. Over the last 20, 25 years in the United States, crime has gone down. Uh, burglary's gone down, robbery's gone down, assault's gone down. This is true not only in the United States, but it's basically true in all the other developed countries as well. Uh, and so uh, at the same time in the United States, household gun ownership has gone down, number of guns per capita has actually gone up. But to explain crime going down, you have to explain why it's going down throughout the developed world. And because crime is going down, not surprisingly, gun crime is going down and gun homicide is going down. Unfortunately, in the United States, gun suicide has been going up. Uh, and there are many more gun suicides than there are gun homicides. There are many more non-fatals from homicide, but many more fatals from suicide. And what I just want to end in my talk is just saying is that one of the things we know for sure in the United States 
is that a gun in the home increases the likelihood that someone in the home will die a violent death. Uh, from gun accidents, uh, from a woman being murdered by a man in an intimate partner violence situation, and particularly by suicide. Uh, the evidence is overwhelming from case control studies and ecological studies, for example. Uh, why do we have very different suicide rates across cities, across states, across regions in the United States to explain the differences in suicide rates across states? Turns out it's not well explained at all by differences in mental health. It's not well explained at all by differences in the number of psychiatrists. It's not even explained by differences in suicide ideation among the population or even suicide attempts. What really explains the difference in the United States across uh, the populations is the number of guns because it's gun suicide which is so different. And that's probably a good point for us to move the conversation along to, to Tony. Talk a little bit more about that, that problem, the risk out there. Well, David's right that 61% of firearm deaths, we have 32, 33,000 firearm deaths in the United States, 61% are related to suicide. And the stigma surrounding suicide and the sort of absence of media attention to suicide makes it a kind of silent aspect of this firearm uh, epidemic that we have. Um, I'm in, the, I'm in the editorial board of the American uh, Journal of Psychiatry, and we turned to Switzerland to find the kind of research that really reveals the importance of, uh, of firearms in suicide. This was a study done in 2007 to 2011 following a uh, legislative act in, in uh, Switzerland to reduce the size of the army. You know, Switzerland is one of those countries that has a civil militia, that every uh, male has a, has a gun as part of the civil militia. So the, the government decided to, to reduce the size of the militia by 40%. By 40%. And uh, there was, that was a natural experiment to look at whether or not the uh, withdrawal of guns from the people who were in the militia uh, was related to a de decrease in suicide. And what was shown with great precision is that only males between the ages of eight, 18 and 37, 38 uh, had a reduction in suicide. That women didn't have a reduction in suicide and older males didn't have a reduction in suicide. So the suicide, uh, the 30% suicide drop was directly related to the fact that, that men no longer had access uh, to guns that the references for these articles are provided by the school. Um, and I just want to say that, that suicide is a problem not just of uh, some sectors of, of some dem demographic sectors of American society, but it's um, across the board. There's, there's been a concern that suicide rates in African Americans are lower uh, than, than whites. But when you look at 15 to 19-year-olds, African-American males have a high suicide rate, the highest suicide rate uh, in that age group compared to other groups. So we need uh, more research and more attention to suicide as part of the firearm death uh, solution. Let me just say one thing briefly about uh, the streets of Chicago that <clears throat> the president said that what's happening in African-American communities and poor communities in the United States is that the segregation that has existed and has been part of American history is not going away. 
that hypersegregation still exists in Chicago, that the structural inequality is, is, uh, is a very prominent part of the city, uh, not just Chicago, but American society, and that the level of inequality has reached an extreme level. Uh, in that context, what it means is that people who live in those communities uh, lack trust, lack civic engagement, have what we call low collective efficacy. Uh, given the gun availability and drug use becoming, particularly heroin, opiate use, becoming a new problem in society, that these communities are weighted down by economic, by personal, by access to drugs, by access to guns. And we're in critical need of, of understanding that problem uh, much better and designing public health interventions that uh, curtail this from becoming a, much, a very large epidemic in American society. So I'm very worried about the current circumstances. Okay. <coughs> uh, with that, let's pass the baton along to, uh, to Mike and explain a little bit about the, the Law Center. Sure. Well, the Law Center to Prevent Gun Violence is a nonprofit organization that was founded in San Francisco after an assault weapons massacre at a law firm there in 1993. So for the last two decades, we've been really analyzing the problem of gun violence in this country and looking at what we think are common sense, effective legislative solutions to this problem. Uh, so part of what we do is we track bills that are pending across the country. Last year, 1,300 bills in a single year. So there's a lot of action. We also track Second Amendment litigation that's going on in the courts, challenging those laws across the country. So we, re we really have our fingers on the pulse of what's happening both in our state houses and in our courthouses across the country when it comes to gun violence and efforts to prevent gun violence. Uh, so really quickly, I just want to paint a picture of the laws in this country and give you a sense of sort of where we're at. So the first thing you have to understand is that our federal system, our federal system of laws pertaining to guns, especially compared to other developed Western nations that don't have nearly the same rates of gun death that we do, uh, are very weak and they're not comprehensive. And they really sort of create a, a minimum baseline that states can choose to build above and create stronger laws. Uh, but as you'll hear in just a moment, not a lot of states take advantage of that. So, and in fact, sometimes our federal laws work against us in many ways. And just one example is that in the mid-90s, Congress actually essentially shut down funding for the CDC to study the issue of gun violence. So we know this is a huge problem, and we've actually tied one, if not two, hands behind our backs, uh, thanks to our federal laws really preventing us to even, from even studying uh, this, this epidemic. So we have this weak baseline. What are the states doing is the next question. So one of the things my organization does is we give a grade to the states each year based on the strength or weakness of their gun laws. And what we've seen over the last few years is that more than half of the states, last year it was 26 states, got an F grade. So they're failing. They're doing nothing above that pretty low uh, federal threshold. There are a few states, California, New York, here in Massachusetts, a handful of others that do fairly comprehensively regulate firearms, but they are definitely a distinct minority. And what we see when we compare the death rates in states to their laws is that there's a very strong correlation between states having stronger gun laws and lower gun death rates. And the reverse is true when states have weak gun laws, you see higher gun death rates, and that's true across the board. And we also see crime guns moving from states with weak laws 
into states with stronger laws, which sometimes undermines efforts to prevent gun violence. So in Chicago, for example, 60% of crime guns recovered there came from outside of the state of Illinois, oftentimes from Indiana, which is right next door and has very weak gun laws. So we see those patterns, uh, and that sounds pretty bleak, but I'm hoping later on today to tell you some positive developments that have happened at the state level and in the courts. There is some good news to report, so stay tuned. Great. And given that, that picture of the state level, uh, David, why don't you walk us over the situation in Congress and what we can expect? Well, I'm, I'm excited to hear from Mike about what the positive <laughs> developments are. Um, it, it's, a, it's interesting because we were here two and a half, three years ago, and, um, and I really enjoyed being part of the panel, mainly because I was getting to hear from everybody else. And I, and I think what I offered up back then was a bit of a downer for folks because I said, yeah, right here now in the wake of of um, Sandy Hook Elementary School, nothing's gonna happen at the federal level. It's not gonna happen. I got people texting me, what are you, crazy? How could that be? Because, um, because in the wake of a shooting like that, when there's a lot of pressure for some kind of a federal change, that's when um, the National Rifle Association and others are at their strongest. They're going to be defensive. That's when you don't expect to see change. But there has been an important shift over the last two and a half years. Uh, and it's not because of any weakening by the National Rifle Association or any other gun groups. It's because of a shift in our way of thinking about gun violence. Uh, I don't even like the phrase gun violence. Um, we don't generally change anybody's mind once their mind is made up. And certainly people out in America have made up their minds about the Second Amendment or gun control. There's very little wiggle room on this. So if you have one side saying, this is what we want, and the other side saying, now you're wrong, and using inflammatory language, nobody can ever shift. Nobody can move. What's been so interesting in work that David and Tony have worked on for the last few years is that we shift the conversation from gun violence to public health more generally. You, again, you don't change anyone's mind by yelling at them or providing them with facts. You change the conversation. You change the underlying associations with an, with, um, an issue, especially on something that's so core and fundamental to who we are in the United States. We, I think most Americans would say, thank God we're not like Italy or France or Germany or Japan. Absolutely, we don't want to be. There's a sense of rugged individualism here. There's a sense of liberty here. There's a sense of freedom here that we don't, and we, we take some pride in that. And we in the policy community need to embrace that and understand that um, in Congress, we're going to move forward, if at all, with sensible gun ownership. Uh, sensible gun health. And if we can change the frame from talking about gun violence to gun health, we can stop talking so much about um, assault ban weapons and start recognizing that it's our teenagers, it's our children, it's people who we know who are committing suicide. Over 60% of the, the gun deaths are suicide. If we start talking about that as opposed to this is my right, this is what it means to be an American. Actually, part of what it means to be an American is that we care for each other, and we care for our families, and we care for our rights, and if that can all be embraced in a more holistic way, I think we can move forward. And we absolutely have seen shifts in that direction in the last two and a half years. President Obama's move with an executive order was the only thing he could do because Congress is blocked 
Um, but I'm excited to hear from Mike and others about what they see as, as progress as we move forward. And for those of you who are here or watching, um, please try and understand, if you are pro-gun control, try and understand where the Second Amendment folks are really coming from. If you haven't actually fired a weapon, if you haven't been to a gun range and tried one out yourself, you might want to. You might want to understand what it feels like and what the culture is like, because only then will you be able to make a plausible, realistic argument in defense of gun health, public health, and then maybe we can shift the conversation and move forward. This has been a production of the Forum at Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. You can find the complete video of this event and post your comments at www.forumhsph.org. Thank you for sharing the forum.